Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul has had an ongoing correspondence with the church in Corinth, and we heard from one of the letters today, but there are many other letters, it seems, even beyond what we have. Paul has an ongoing relationship with them. They are one body together, and they rejoice together, and they struggle together, and they're even at odds with each other at times, too. But they are one body in this one Lord by the one Spirit together. And in this portion of the letter that we have today, Paul begins to talk about generosity, about giving. But it's important to know, especially with the letters to Corinth, that when Paul's talking about something, he's not doing some general teaching. He is doing something specific to their situation. And this is true here as well. We learn about the situation a little bit in the book of Acts, that there was a famine in Judea, where Jerusalem was as well. And the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, were struggling because of this famine. And so a whole bunch of the churches around the eastern side of the Mediterranean chose to continue to help send money, to send resources to help out their brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, this is one of the reasons for some of Paul's missionary journeys. It's to go and help with the collection of these goods and resources to bring back to Jerusalem. The church in Corinth was amongst the first, Paul says, to have a desire to want to give to this cause, to support and love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul wants them to make good on that desire, to follow through. And so he does two things. He gives them two examples. He tells them about the church in Macedonia. The church in Macedonia also had a desire to give, but they didn't have much. And yet they gave themselves to the Lord, and in the most remarkable way to Paul, they burdened themselves, it seems, right? They made it harder for themselves by losing more in order to help others to lift them up. This surprised Paul and his companions that they gave even out of their poverty, out of love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul brings this up to them, not telling the church in Corinth, say, hey, you better burden yourselves too. No, but just as a way of encouragement to say, look what the church is doing. You also have a desire. So follow through and give. And then Paul brings up his second example. But it's really more than an example. He starts talking about Jesus as Lord. This one who showed up who was rich wealthy in honor and glory and power and authority. And this one who was rich chose to empty himself, to make himself poor, so that others who do not have would have. He empties out of his richness towards the downtrodden, the shamed, the lowly, those that do not have. He distributes his wealth. Not that he would try to create some some sense of equality, but rather that he might even be lowered below them, and they would be lifted up above him. Christ brings of his riches and empties himself in order to make others rich. This grace came to the church in Corinth. And Paul points out, this is way more than an example. This is the Lord, and the Lord now defines you all. You are one body together with this Lord as your head. And so now you get to embody this same grace towards others. 
And then Paul goes on to talk about abundance. And he talks to the church in Corinth, and he says, you all have plenty right now. You have plenty. He talks about fairness. He says, you have more than enough. The brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, they have a lack. You have enough. You can give and support their lack. And maybe in the future, when they have an abundance and you have a lack, they can support you. Paul calls this fairness. But I think it's fairness more in the sense of he's trying to get them to have an eye towards this mutual love and the bond they have in the spirit, that they would be caring and supportive of one another because the church also cares and supports them. And then Paul makes this one brief quote from the story of the Exodus. And he brings up the wanderings in the wilderness. The people have been wandering for 40 years, right? 40 years, and God provided for them miraculously out of the heavens. He rained down bread. And the people would go out, it seems, and they would gather up. Some individuals would gather a whole bunch. Others might gather just a little bit. So some might have an abundance, and some, in a sense, might have a lack. But when they would gather it all together, measure it by the omer, which was like the size of a two-liter per person, and distribute it, every single person had enough. Even though some started out with an abundance and some a lack, everyone had enough. God provides for his people. And Paul calls this, again, a sense of fairness. But more than that, he calls it grace. He calls it grace. Now, if you've been with the Lutheran Church for some time, you may know that we sometimes like to use acronyms. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. This use of grace by Paul might be a bit strange and troubling to us because he's saying that the collecting of money and the distribution of money is grace. This might seem odd because right, Paul says elsewhere to the church in Galatia, it is God's, it's by God's grace, right? not by works. right? It's not anything that we do. We are... Um, instilled in us as Lutherans that grace is something God does for us only. It is never anything we do for God. It is never anything we do for others. So maybe Paul's not familiar with his own words. Or maybe I need to become more familiar with what Paul is doing here. God sending his son and having him take his riches and giving it away to us who were sinfully oppressed to us who were oppressed by death and the kingdom of Satan, that is grace. It is an act of God, and we offer nothing for it. He gives it to us as a gift. God's act in Christ to lower himself even below us that we might be lifted up by his salvation, that is grace. But now that we have received grace and this grace fills us up and even overflows from us and we are joined together as one body, we are invited by the Spirit to embody grace towards others. To mimic Christ in our words and actions. To lift others up, to lift one another up, whether it's financially, emotionally, or spiritually, relationally, whatever it is. To see in one another this gift of grace that we offer as well, right? We receive grace and we give grace as well, especially towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, uh, Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, writes about this view of grace. And I have a, a short quote from him. He doesn't use the word grace. He uses the word gospel. But I think you'll see the connection as well. 
He says the gospel is a very dangerous idea. We have to see how much of that dangerous idea we can perform in our own lives. There is nothing innocuous or safe about the gospel. Jesus did not get crucified because he was a nice man. Jesus' intense care for the poor, his opposition to the cultural norms of reciprocity in those days of, hey, I'll do something for you, but you better do something for me in return. His opposition to uh, the cultural ideas of honor and status in which some are more powerful and more important than others and others are looked down upon or ignored. His opposition to those things was not a safe thing to do. His emptying of himself for us was not safe. It got him crucified and killed. And yet his father honored him and raised him from the dead. And as those who have received this grace, right, it overflows and we now get to embody grace to others as well. Uh, as Paul again puts it, this is also not just a matter of grace, but of fairness. God provides more than enough, and those that have received much can give those that do not have, so that there can be equality. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe this idea of distributing wealth to those that don't have sounds offensive. Um, maybe you're okay with it. Maybe it sounds a bit too communistic or something like this. Regardless, we need to hear Paul's words here. He is trying to urge the church to look at one another and see if there is a lack, the church can come together to support it. And they too can come together to support you when there is a lack as well. How this plays out in government and laws is a whole other topic for another time. But Paul seems to be clear. Amongst God's people, it's different. It's different, right? We receive grace and we give grace towards one another. Many of you who have been involved in the church a long time, and maybe even for a short time, have probably already been doing this, right? Already been doing this. And I'm not talking about sending the offering plate around and gathering money. I'm talking about those moments where we hear of brothers and sisters in Christ struggling somewhere. Fellow congregations around our country or around the world, whether it's because of drought or earthquakes or some other issue that's going on, and what do we do? We gather funds, we gather resources, and we distribute them. We give out of what we have because of the love we share towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. We give generously because of the Lord who defines us as well. We have been doing these things. But it's not just about those crisis moments, as important and good as they are. And I trust that we will continue to do that as a congregation as well. This life of receiving grace and embodying grace is really meant to be an all-the-time thing. Not always in great moments, but even in small, almost unnoticed moments, we are invited to mimic Christ in his love, in his generosity. Again, lifting one another up, whether it's relationally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever is needed. I desire this for the church. And I imagine you probably all desire this as well, right? We want to hear stories of God's people coming together. We want to see God's people around the world coming together in love and support for one another. This desire that we have, it's the desire of Christ himself. He gives grace. We receive 
and we offer grace to one another, especially to those of the household of faith. And God has given us a, a manifestation of this desire of Christ. When we share together in the Lord's Supper, we are being fed by Jesus himself. He shows up here and continues to give of his richness to us. But as we share in that meal, I want to remind you of something that Luther talks about in one of his writings. And I don't know if I've shared this before. There's a good chance I have, but I want to share it again today. Luther talks about this exchange, right? We live in grace all the time. But in the meal, there is also this specific moment in which God promises also that we have this exchange. We receive Christ, and we all of a sudden have everything that belongs to Jesus. His kingdom, his mercy, his life, his death, his salvation, all of it becomes ours. It belongs to us. And everything that we have is his. Our sin, our shame, our death, whatever it is becomes his. There is this exchange because in this meal, we are manifested together as one body with Jesus, right? One body, one loaf, one cup. But Luther doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about how, as there is this exchange between us and God, there's also an exchange between us as people. He says, when you share together in the Lord's Supper, it is a manifestation, this intense reminder that God gives to us that we are bound together and that we share everything with one another. And Luther even goes on to list things. He says, your wallet, your house, your food, your clothing, it belongs to everybody there communing with you. And all that is theirs also belongs to you. This isn't meant to be something frightening. This isn't meant to be something that is a burden to us. This is meant to be an eye towards one another in love, to see if there is need that we can come together to provide, and if we ourselves have need that the church can come around us to provide. We are one body and one spirit in the one Lord together. We are joined together in him, not only receiving grace as we do every single day as we live in it, but also invited to embody grace towards one another. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.